0: I'm Melinda Hemmelgarn, a registered dietitian and investigative nutritionist on a mission to connect the dots between food, health, and agriculture, and find food truth and today I'm honored to welcome my guest, Ms. Dana Gunders. She is a staff scientist at the Natural Resources Defense Council, and she leads NRDC's work on reducing the amount of food wasted across the country. Her work on food waste has been featured by CNN, NBC, The New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, NPR, and many other outlets. Dana holds a BS and MS degrees in Earth Systems from Stanford University, and she is based at NRDC's San Francisco office. Welcome, Dana.
1: Thank you. Thanks for having me.
0: I have been caught up in the discussions about, oh my gosh, we've got to produce more food. We're going to have so many more billions of people on the earth. There's a scarcity model from which I think we tend to discuss food. And yet, we need, I think, to talk about reducing food waste. So we can't have a discussion, in my opinion, about producing more food without talking about food waste. And your book... The Waste-Free Kitchen Handbook, A Guide to Eating Well and Saving Money by Wasting Less Food, is exactly what we need right now. Tell me why you wrote this book.
1: Sure. Well... I've been looking into this whole issue of food waste for quite a while now and speaking to so many people, and it's clear to me that nobody wants to waste food. Nobody gets up in the morning and says, oh, I'm going to waste some food today. <laughs> and increasingly, there's more awareness. So I think people are unaware of the problem sometimes, but even when they're aware, they don't necessarily know what to change in their daily lives to lead to less waste. And so I really wrote this book to close the gap between people being aware of the problem, really wanting to waste less food, and knowing what to do about it.
0: Right. Yeah, I think that when you look at the waste figures, and Joanne Birkenkamp, who's a colleague of yours at the Natural Resources Defense Council, explained to me that most of the waste actually happens at the consumer level.
1: It's true. A good portion of it, possibly around 40% of everything that gets wasted, is happening in households. And that's everything from the lettuce going bad in the fridge to, you know, making too much pasta and throwing out the leftovers to the science experiment you don't want to go near. And and it just it happens in little bits and pieces, but it all adds up. And it's a significant portion of the waste. It's a significant portion of our budget, in fact. The estimate is that about $1,500 worth of food gets thrown away by the average American family.
0: Yeah, I think that talking about food waste in terms of how to be more resourceful and how to trim our food budgets is a really smart idea. And I think that if people started to think about dollars and cents when they tossed something, maybe that might be a way for us to waste less. But you've got a quote here in your book about the natural resources piece. And this is from the McKinsey Global Institute, and you write that one projection estimates that reducing food waste at the consumer level by 30% could save roughly 100 million acres of cropland by 2030. Wow.
1: Yeah, it's amazing, and I think that goes to you know what you started off talking about, which is do we really need to produce more food in order to feed the future population or could we just be more streamlined about the way we approach the food we are already growing and can we use that to feed everyone? Because we grow enough food today to feed our world population and more and, you know, it's just a matter of using it right. Mm -hmm.
0: And I know you've found some really good resources, some of my favorites, like the Portion Teller. That was work done, I believe, in New York, looking at portion sizes and how they've grown over the years. And you've got a good section on that. But you know what I wanted to say? That even though our portions have grown, and you've got a terrific chart, by the way, about this. And this actually comes from the National Heart, Lung, and Blood Institute portion distortion. But, so in 1980, 82. A large slice of pizza had 500 calories. To, in 2002, a large slice had 850. So the percentage of growth there was 70%. So we've got larger portions and it would be nice to be able to order smaller portions. But you know what often happens in the marketplace is the larger portions are cheaper.
1: Yep. It's- True. I mean, I think generally right now we value quantity and sometimes we value that more than quality when we're buying food. And so certainly restaurants are under a good amount of pressure to be serving fairly large portions so that you feel like you got your money's worth. Right. And that's a challenge for the restaurant owners. And, you know, those increased portions, only two things are happening. You know, either we're eating those increased portions and It's having an effect on how many calories we're intaking, or we're not eating them, and they're going to waste. So either way, it's not a win situation.
0: Right. Well, you write that food is simply too good to waste, and I think it's also too precious to waste. And I think we've gotten ourselves in a situation where we've got so much abundance of this quantity versus quality And it would be nice if we could reward our farmers, you know, for producing more quality rather than quantity and see what happened in the public health sector. But you've got some strategies for reducing waste in the home, and that's really what your book is all about, the Waste-Free Kitchen Handbook. So I'd like to really dive into this, and one of the things that you've developed here that I think is brilliant is called a waste audit. How do you suggest that consumers do a waste audit?
1: Yes, well, it sounds very formal, but it does not have to be. A waste audit can be as simple as putting a blank piece of paper up near your garbage can or your compost bin and a pen nearby with a couple of columns written on it. And really the point is to just keep track of what you're throwing out. One of the biggest challenges around this issue is that people don't really realize they're wasting food. So if you just sort of track what you're throwing out, every time you go and throw out food and just the edible portion so we're not talking about your banana peels or your avocado skins but when you you know have a little bit of pasta left over and you throw that out you just mark it on there and you put about how much and about how much it costs you and then also why you're throwing it out and mm-hmm. you just do that for a couple weeks let's say to get a snapshot of what you tend to throw out and You know, people who do it for even longer than two weeks really start to see patterns in terms of what they maybe are buying too much of or cooking too much of or perhaps something they're not storing properly, and that'll just help you identify in your life what's going to help. Because, you know, you can write a book about this stuff, but not everything in the book will apply to you, and it's about what is the pattern in your own life that's leading to waste in your house, and that's really what the waste audit helps you get at.
0: So do you find that there are leading reasons for tossing food among most consumers? You know, do we share There, of course, as you say, there's going to be personal issues that that come to the fore. But do you find that there are some that seem to be pretty consistent among consumers?
1: Yeah, absolutely. One, for example, is around the expiration dates on food. Yes. Many, many consumers don't necessarily understand that the dates on food are not meant to indicate safety or that the food is bad, but rather they are just the manufacturer's best guess at when the product is at its freshest. And so oftentimes you can eat food days, weeks, even months, depending on the product after those dates, but many people think that those dates are telling them to throw food out on the date, and that's just not the case. Well, that's that's tricky,
0: you know, because I used to work in extension and I remember answering consumer calls about, you know, I've got this product in my refrigerator, should I throw it away? And everybody wants to err on the side of safety, right? And so you can look at the expiration date. If you call the company, they want to protect themselves. They're more than likely going to tell you, oh, yeah, pitch that. And we've also taught consumers, you know, not to necessarily rely on your nose because there could be bacteria present in a food that could make you sick and you might not be able to detect it simply by smell. So how do you navigate this date issue where you've got a date, it's a fresh or used by date pertaining to quality, but what about the safety factor?
1: Sure. Well, I think the first thing to understand is that Most foodborne illness does not come from food being old, but rather from food being contaminated. And there's a fundamental difference there. You know, contamination happens on the farm or at the processing plant. It's E. coli, it's salmonella. It'll get you sick no matter how old the food is. Food industry is trying really hard to make sure that, that that doesn't happen. But where it does, it's not necessarily a matter of age. And when food decays our natural senses are pretty well equipped to know when to not eat food. So that's the sort of age and decay. Now, there's a a few other things I'd say. You know, if you really want to be safe about your food, then I think it's important to learn how to keep a safe kitchen. And a lot of that is about not cross-contaminating, you know, not using the same knife to cut raw chicken as you do to cut your vegetables and, and some sort of common sense Things like that. And that's going to keep you a lot safer than throwing your food out on the expiration date. Mm -hmm. Now, certainly food does get to a point where you don't want to eat it anymore. And you shouldn't. You know, if it's slimy, if it tastes bad, if it's spoiled, certainly that's not food you should eat. You may even have sort of a reflex reaction if you were to eat something like that but it would not make you sick in the way a foodborne illness or food poisoning would.
0: Right. So you've got a really good section here in the book about the surprising truth about expiration dates and also you know what happens when food ages and why does food make people sick. So you can be a little bit more of a careful assessor of the food that you've got in your refrigerator. But you also have a great section that I've never seen anywhere before, which talks about – How do you put food in a refrigerator? You know, how do you manage the food in your storage areas, your refrigerator, your freezer, so that things won't get buried? I mean, I don't think I'm alone when I say I have found things in my refrigerator or freezer that have fallen under the vintage category simply because I didn't see them.
1: Right. And I think that is another common reason that people wind up wasting food is that they're not necessarily storing it in the best way possible. If I had my druthers, I would like to see the refrigerator of the future, which is not so deep and wouldn't lose things as easily. Yeah. But until we get there, I think there are a lot of steps that people can take to store their food better. So in the book, you know, we provide a diagram that shows the bottom of the refrigerator is the coldest part, and the top is warmer. So foods like meat and fish should be stored low down, preferably on a tray so that they don't drip any of their juices anywhere. And foods that can be a little bit warmer, like your condiments or yogurt, should be stored higher up in the fridge. Cheese can tend to absorb flavors of other products, and that's why you have a cheese drawer and the book even goes into your produce drawers and those crisper drawers. And and what if you have one of those little levers that adjusts them, what the heck those do? So, yeah, I think storing your food better does help. And actually, beyond just where in the refrigerator, there's a whole section in the back of the book where you can look up 85 different products to learn, you know, what is the best way to store my strawberries, for instance.
0: hmm I love that, by the way. I was going to get to that. It's it's terrific, but I wanted to remind our listeners, if they're just joining us, that you are tuned in to Food Fluth Radio, and we are speaking with Dana Gunders. She is the author of the Waste-Free Kitchen Handbook, A Guide to Eating Well and Saving Money by Wasting Less Food, and she is a staff scientist at the Natural Resources Defense Council. Okay, so I like that you've got this how to pack a refrigerator, how to pack a freezer, and I totally agree with you that having these deep cavernous storage areas is problematic. Same thing with a freezer. You know, I went from a chest kind of freezer to an upright freezer because I found that the things that ended up at the bottom of the freezer, gosh, you know, I'd find them maybe a year or two later and go, oh, wow, yeah, I wish I would have used that.
1: Right.
0: Okay, but you've also got in here some times of the year. So let's talk about holidays because holidays, I think, are a time when we – tend to maybe we're given food as gifts or we make extra for a party. Are there any strategies you can talk about regarding holiday times of the year?
1: Yeah, I do think there's so much waste around the holidays. And it's ironic because, you know, with a holiday like Thanksgiving, we're celebrating. The pilgrims are able to survive and have enough food to make it through the winter. And yet there we are. You know, We celebrate with this big feast and then we throw half of it away. I think it's challenging because a lot of people are going to many different parties and sometimes hosting them themselves, and we do see a good amount of waste. Some of the strategies to take are if you're hosting your own party, first, you use some kind of portion calculator. You can look it up on the Internet. Lots of books have them. We have some suggestions in our book. And just make sure you're making the right amount and you're not just going totally overboard. If people are bringing food, I suggest being pretty forthright about what you'd like them to bring and really assigning different foods so you don't have a situation where three people bring the same kind of cookie or the same salad, but rather you have a nice balanced offering. I think it's great to have leftover containers available for your guests so that they can take food home. Oh, and one I didn't mention is If you're able to make a lot of the food beforehand, you know, particularly hors d'oeuvres and freeze it and then cook them in batches when your guests are there, that allows you to only make as much as really is necessary. And then, you know, you may have some left over, but at least it's frozen and will last for a while.
0: Dana, has this ever happened to you where you have a dinner party and there are people who take more food than they're going to eat and they maybe put it on the counter or get ready to throw it away. That's really a touchy moment, isn't it? Because these are your friends, you're having them over for a party, and yet you're kind of cringing because you're doing all this awareness work around food waste. How do you handle that?
1: Oh, yes, it does happen. (laughs) It's not just at parties. I feel like every time I go out to dinner with people, I have to let them know I'm not the food police. Right. You know, I... This is really, in my mind, this is a journey. This is not something where we're seeking perfection right from the start. It's really about just being aware of what's going on. And you know what happens. It's going to happen to all of us. It happens a lot with kids, I know. And and so I really acknowledge that this is not something that is just going to go away in a heartbeat. I think just being aware of it and making a good effort can actually make a pretty significant dent in the problem, and that's a really good place to start. So I try not to make people feel bad about it, and I try not to feel bad when my friends tell me something like, "Oh, hey, you know, I thought of you the other day. I had these rotten tomatoes, and I took <laughs> them and put them in a soup." <laughs> you know, so sometimes I call myself the Rotten Tomato Lady, but I I try to <laughs> yeah. With
0: well, you know what I've started doing. I, I really like your idea of having some extra containers around the house so that you can if somebody's going to throw away a significant portion say of meat that i've served i will i won't throw it away but i'll put it in a container and i'll save it for a friend with a dog for example and you've got a really great section in the book too about what foods are appropriate for pets and what aren't and it's a really good way to handle food scraps and even if you don't have a pet probably you know someone who does but i think it's also helpful to have some containers for people to say would you like to take this home? Because, gosh, who doesn't like leftovers the next day for lunch? I'm a big fan of, you know, in home economics they say you cook once and you eat twice. So you actually plan to have leftovers so that you can have really easy, breezy meals for for the next day or two.
1: Absolutely. I'm with you. I think leftover containers are invaluable beyond their, you know, low cost. And I think... They're great for parties. People don't think that way, you know, when they're going to a party. They don't necessarily think to bring something to bring food home in. So Having them around to send people home with food is a good thing for sure. Yeah. I also actually like to keep one in my purse so that when I'm out to dinner and I can't finish that big portion I got served, I can just put some food in there. I find that sometimes I'm faced with the decision of, do I want to take this home? Is it worth taking it home? And sometimes I've I've said, yes, it is. And then I get this little bit of food in like four layers of packaging. And (laughs) I feel bad about that. So bringing a little container with you is actually a good solution.
0: That's a great idea. Because I hate when when I receive like a styrofoam container and I think, oh, the environmental impact of styrofoam is so nasty. Well, the other thing that I think to keep in mind is, especially in urban areas where we may leave a restaurant and you see homeless people on the street. And if I'm in a meeting, for example, in an urban area, I might ask for uh, a doggy bag. And if I see somebody on the street who looks hungry, I'll ask them if they'd like you know, this portion of food. So it's a way for me to deal with waste guilt and know that somebody else is getting good quality nourishment.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think it's a great idea.
0: Okay, so... Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry.
1: No, I was just going to say, it's, it's usually very much appreciated.
0: Yeah, very much so. So, the Waste-Free Kitchen Handbook, A Guide to Eating Well and Saving Money by Wasting Less Food, a really handy su- section you've got in this book, has to do with recipes, right? I mean, I think that we, over the course of my career, recipes have gone from something that we were happy to share to feeling like, oh, a recipe, that's not very high-tech. And now we're back at a state where, yeah, tell me how to do this food work, and recipes are actually very necessary. So you've got a section in here of recipes of what to do with leftovers. Like you've got tacos that you're going to use all of these leftover items in your refrigerator. You've got a recipe for fried rice, which is a great quick meal, actually, especially when you can fold in some of the other leftover foods that you've been accumulating, say, over the last few days. Do you have any favorite recipes in here?
1: Yeah, I do. I have to say I do. One of my favorites is the soured milk pancake recipe, which may sound crazy, but I learned in writing this book that you can actually use milk that's gone a little bit sour and make pancakes with it, and they're actually delicious. It, It, I guess, has the effect of buttermilk. And so it makes pancakes really fluffy and delicious. Another one is called buried chocolate avocado mousse and that uses up overripe avocados in the place of milk and cream essentially to make a chocolate mousse. And though it may sound strange, I swear you, you would never know it's avocados in there and they're absolutely delicious.
0: Well, I'm assuming that you've tried every recipe that you've got in here.
1: Yes, I have. Absolutely.
0: Well, I think that it's very helpful for people to say, oh, wow, I didn't know I could do that. When you were writing this book, did you have any surprises?
1: Well, I certainly learned a lot writing it. I think I just learned some really things I just didn't realize. Like, for instance, that meat changes color naturally when it ages and that you can actually eat meat even if it's sort of gone from a, a reddish color to a more purplish color. I thought that was really interesting. I learned that eggs, actually, if you put them in a bowl of water and they're still good to eat, they'll sink. But if they are not good to eat, they'll float. So lots of little tricks like that. Strawberries are best kept if you put them on a tray in a single layer and try not to have them stacked on each other. Lots of little tips that I enjoyed learning. Mm -hmm.
0: Well, I'll tell you what surprised me it went back to those natural resources. And you have a chart here that I find fascinating. It's called water required to produce certain products in shower minutes. And the reason why I thought this was so interesting in terms of, well, that's an interesting way of looking at this, is because who thinks of the wasted resources for when you toss an egg or when you toss a banana? And you've got water use equivalent in shower minutes. So you've got one drop equals 10 shower minutes. And I'm looking here at, gosh, something like beef. You've got 370 shower minutes for one pound of wasted beef.
1: Yeah. I mean, beef is a huge resource user. Not everyone realizes that, but it does. It takes a huge amount of resources, including water, to grow all the feed to feed the cows and ultimately produce the beef. And so definitely what I was trying to illustrate with that is that not all wasted food is equal. You know, let's be really careful with our meat. And if you're having a barbecue or whatnot, pay real attention to how much meat you need and be sure to save it and make something else with it the next day. Because it really does take a lot to get that to our tables.
0: Yeah. Well, this is a wonderful consumer guide. And as I was reading it, I thought to myself, every day I get emails about food safety and food recalls. And I'm thinking, just today I got an email that over 89,000 pounds of pork sausage was recalled. And then I'm getting ready to do this interview, and I'm looking at shower minutes what does that cost us in terms of wasted resources? And I think that if we all started to look at food waste from a perspective of certainly the impact on natural resources, but also the impact on our purse strings, maybe we could become a lot more resourceful and feel good about it.
1: I sure hope so. I mean, that's certainly what I had in mind when I wrote this book. And do you think it can be done in a way that's really fun and, doesn't take a lot of time or energy, winds up saving you money and gets you fresher, tasty food along the way.
0: Mm -hmm. We only have a couple of minutes left. Is there anything that you want to bring forth from this book that I perhaps didn't?
1: Well, one thing we need to talk about in the book that, that you and I haven't touched on is what to do with your food scraps when you have them. And as you mentioned, there is a chart in there on what you can and can't feed to your dog or your cat or your chickens, actually. But there's also some fun experiments around – that are great to do with kids around regrowing your food. So one thing that actually did surprise me when I started researching this book was that you can take things like scallions or onions, and you know they have those roots on them, and you can take the part you cut off with the roots and just plant that in soil, and it'll actually grow a whole new onion. That was kind of amazing. And so we have some experiments that you can do around that, but then we also have a lot of information around composting and how to do that if you have a backyard or actually even if you don't have a backyard. And I think as much as I'd like to see us preventing the waste from happening in the first place, we'll always have food scraps and there will always be the banana peel even if we eat the banana. So it's good to think about what to do with that as well.
0: Mm -hmm. And I also like your concept about making it a competition. You know, see how much waste you can decrease over, say, the course of a week. And I also like the idea of looking at different countries. So you write that in the United States, less than 5% of discarded food is composted. And it's the largest single component of municipal solid food waste, you know, brought to landfills. But you're also looking at the European Union, and they're really doing a lot better than we are.
1: Yeah, they've really taken this issue on in a much more fundamental, serious way than we have in the U.S. so far. They've set aggressive goals and targets. They have set aside funding to help figure out what's going on. They've conducted big national campaigns to try to bring awareness to you know their population's So they are doing great work. I will say the seeds of that are all starting to flourish here in the U.S. as well. So I'm really optimistic that over the next few years, we'll see a lot more attention brought to this issue. And with that, awareness about it for everyone in their lives, both out at restaurants and in their own homes.
0: Well, Dana, I want to thank you very much for writing this book. In closing, I want to thank our listeners for joining us. I want to thank Dana Gunders for being my guest. And remind everyone that Food Sleuth Radio is produced by Dan Hemelgarn at KOPN Studios in beautiful downtown Columbia, Missouri. The book is Waste-Free Kitchen Handbook, a guide to eating well and saving money by wasting less food by Dana Gunders, who is a staff scientist at the Natural Resources Defense Council. And if you're looking for more information, simply go to Kitchen kitchen.com dana thank you so much for being with me today
1: thank you so much for having me